Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We have been in a series on stewardship, and stewardship means to manage and take care of that which doesn't belong to you. If you believe in the Lord Jesus That means he has paid for you with his precious blood and that you belong to him, your life, your time. And now we're going to be talking about the subject that most people think of when they think of stewardship, which is money. Last week we talked about, the last two weeks we talked about time. We talked about time over the course of a week. Last week we talked about time over the course of years and seasons. Today we're going to talk about treasure and money. Um, And I'm going to talk about it out of this very, very important text, Matthew Chapter six, verses nineteen twenty-four. I actually looked this up. Um, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been the main preacher here for about five and a half years, and I looked up all the different sermons. How many times have I preached on this text? I believe this text is a tremendously important and profound text, very highly relevant to our city, and especially all the, the the things that our city cares about. And this is actually the third time I'm going to speak on this text. I hope. Um, any of you who've ever, who've ever listened to all three, you know, you don't get tired of listening to this message. And if I repeat myself, I hope you don't think, "Oh, here we here he goes again." You're gonna think. I hope you think, "Oh, I'm glad he's saying this again because I need to hear this again." I know I need to hear this again as I uh, talk about the, um, these points. So, in part, in three parts, a message on treasure, money, and spiritual poverty. Part one: money and mastery. Money and mastery. Part two: spiritual poverty. You can't really understand money properly unless you understand something about spiritual poverty. And part three, lasting treasure. What is the real and lasting treasure that Jesus talks about? Part one, um, money and mastery. Let me, let me get into this text. It's an extraordinary teaching. As far as I know, nobody talks like this except Jesus. Okay? And in this first part, Jesus seems to say something that's rather, it seems to be rather commonsensical. So let me just say, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. So this question of treasure and treasures on, in heaven versus treasures on earth and, uh, and just to start off here, it seems like a very commonsensical thing that you would want to, you would want to gather up and rest, give up for yourselves treasures that can't be dissipated and lost. But 
First, I just want to just address certain people today because I think it's a very common point today. There's a, we are living in a time when I'm very much conditioned, kind of a post-Marxist time. Um, Marx said that religion is the opiate of the masses. And for Marx, he really understood that the economics was where the real issues in life were and the things that were considered spiritual he considered, that's, he considered that kind of phony stuff. And today's, uh, there's a lot of the, 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 today's version of that type of attitude is some people say, all oh, that stuff of heaven. Heaven, that's just the fairy tale stuff that people who are weak and poor in this life, they just made up that stuff because that's a consolation for the fact that their life isn't very good. You ever heard that? You ever heard anybody say that? Do you ever, you ever think that? <laughs> Maybe you yourself even think that. Or you certainly have maybe friends or colleagues or t teachers, professors, whoever even said such a thing. And I, just to even start off this message, because this, this is such a direct counter to what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus straight up assumes there are treasures in heaven, which are far greater than the treasures on earth. And I just want to say, if you are a person that has this, this skepticism or doubt that maybe there really is no heaven, and that's just a fairy tale that these religious or these weak people have just made up because really, you know, it's not so great for them here on earth. I want to just say a few things to you. First, first, that is an incredibly cynical view of life, right? That's just, that's just the very first thing is if you have this view of life, you, you pretty much have just drank the Marxist Kool-Aid that life is really about economics, Life is just only about the tangible, and it's only about the empirical, and it's especially only about the things that can be bought here in this world. And that's an incredibly cynical and reduced vision of life. And I would say to you that your view of life is very poor, and it's actually very shallow, right? It's shallow and cynical. That's the first point I want to say to you. Second thing I want to say is, if you really actually think this, um, I want to say to you that really you pretty much consign all the world's poor and the people who are sick and those people who have weakness, you pretty much have just consigned them to nothing. <laughs> um, there's a whole lot of people in the world who are sick and poor and weak simply because um, in the world's lottery, in the lottery of history, they were just born in the wrong country. Or they were born to, to, uh, to parents who, who didn't particularly have good luck in their life, or who didn't do very well in terms of their own finances. Or maybe in the lottery of life, one of their genes didn't quite come out in the ways that most other people's comes out. And so they are born weak or poor, and they're never going to quite have a life filled with the treasures of the earth. And if you have this view that this is all there is, and that heaven is just a fairy tale and heavenly treasure is just a nonsense thing. Let me just tell you, all these people of the world, which is most of the people of the world, you're pretty much telling them your life stinks, your life is going to suck, and that's all there is to it, and too bad. And the more people who have taken this on, I mean, most people don't say it quite this crudely, but the more this spirit, and this is a highly secular view of the world, and as our culture becomes increasingly secular and godless, right, and that's all secular really means. Secular means of the world. It really means not of heaven, not of eternity. Secular means of the world. And the secular mindset thinks of the treasures of the world. If that's all, just, you're really looking down upon the weak people of the world. 
and consigning them to a bad life. And that's all you got. Sorry, you live a bad life, and all we are is chemicals. And sorry that your life sucked, and then you're going to die, <laughs> and then that's all there is to it. And sorry you didn't get too much of the treasures of the world, and that's it, right? And so the whole world and life is just really this, this chase after the treasures that can be taken away from what Jesus says, moth and rust and thieves. The third point I just want to say is this. Um, it is a very odd thing that almost everybody longs for something more than just money and clothing and a nice house. They long for more than these things. In fact, it is a very odd thing that we long for treasure which cannot be taken away. Don't you? Don't you long for treasure that cannot be taken away? And I would say this is pretty much the universal human longing. And if, even if you're a person here with this kind of secular, kind of cynical doubt, don't you long for this? It's a very strange... If this is something that just came about by accident, it's a very strange piece of Darwinian accident <laughs> that all human beings have this longing for something that this world cannot provide. And I'm reminded of what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. If, there's so, if there is something here in this world that we long for, that there's nothing in, that in this world can provide, then perhaps really we weren't made for this world. We weren't made for this world. So that's the first thing I want you to say. This, take this piece of what seems like common sense, but more and more I think it's not as common, but it is a deep piece of wisdom. Now as we're going to move on, let's go on to verse 20, um, 22 here. Jesus says something very odd, which I, I want you to, uh, to consider. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? Here, let me drink here. It's a very strange way of putting it. This way of putting it. And what is Jesus getting at? He says this thing right in the middle of, of, of sandwich point where he's talking about Earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. And then he goes on to talk about masters, and then he makes it very clear what he's talking about. You cannot serve two masters, God or money. And he's talking about money here. If throughout your life, and we do live in a culture and in a city that's increasingly secular and it's fixated upon worldly treasure and the things that money can buy, if throughout your life your eyes... Your eyes is your means by which you perceive the world. How you see and how you look at the world. And we take it for granted that there's all kinds of things that we see or the way we perceive of what is valuable in this time, in this place, in our culture. And what Jesus says is, if your perception of value and of treasures through your eyes is actually not, is, is the light that you think is really fixated on the treasures of the world, actually, the light that you're taking in into your life, into your body, it's not really light. And isn't that a crazy thing for Jesus to say? That the thing that is normal in our culture for all our valuations about money and worldly goods and treasures in this world, this is the thing that's going to make my life good. And isn't that the way we often think? This is, if, if I just had, 
if I just have more of this, and if we could save more of this, and if we can have this good, and if we can have, then we think that our life will be good. But if these are the thoughts, and if this is the way we run our energy, and this is the way your eyes perceive, Jesus is saying, actually, you're full of darkness. You're really deeply lost. And this is, a, this is not easy, is it? Um, it's just so normal in our culture. Um, one more point here that Jesus gets at. You know, we live in a democracy. In a democracy, we don't have a king. As far as we know, like, it goes, I'm my own person. <laughs> Nobody can tell me what to do. I have rights. You know, that's my stuff. That's my money. There's my rights. That's my name. And we don't believe that we have masters. I mean, but Jesus says here that you will always have a master. <laughs> there will be a master. And if you think that you're your own master and you can run your own life, let me tell you, you're wrong. <laughs> you are living and you're really deceived. You're deceiving yourself. There will be a master. The real question is, will the master be God and thus you'll really be free? Or, and as Jesus understands, very, very often, if the master is not God, the master will probably be money. Because money... Money is the means through all these treasures that we long for and we chase and things in the world that we think, if I have this, then my life will be set. Now look, um, some of you are probably here still thinking, gosh, you know, I don't just think about money all the time. I don't go home. You know, you, you ever watch these TV shows where people go home and they literally like they climb into their money and they like roll around in their money or something like that. And, and you ever seen any of these things? And doesn't that seem ridiculous to you? And None of you do this. Because today, like, money isn't even an, it's not even a, a thing itself. It's like, it's actually just a bunch of bits and bytes on, on a machine someplace. That's really all it is. Money is just pure concept. But really what money represents is all the other things that it could promise you. Really. And what is it for you? What is it for you that money can promise you that, that you long for? Just, just to name a few. Maybe it's a luxury. Maybe it's luxury. It's a certain level of goods. And if you have, you know, you're like, you look at your, you know, and I've, in the past, um, I, I gave a message where I said that when I was 16, that I, the car I just had to have was a, 320, a BMW 325i, late 1980s edition, convertible. <laughs> right? That's the one I wanted, right? And that was that rep, that luxury represented a certain life for me. And if I had that life, maybe for you. And, 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 I, and in the past, I've also talked about a certain kind of refrigerator with certain doors. And some of you guys have told me, oh, that 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 message about the refrigerator, that was not a fun one. <laughs> You're like, I didn't want to hear about the refrigerator. And maybe that's it. It's a certain level, right? Luxury. But some of you, maybe it's not luxury. Maybe it's comfort. <laughs> you don't have to have the most fancy thing, but if your comfort level drops below a certain point, then you'll feel like your life is breaking up. Hmm? You, it's like, wait a second, wait a second. I can't shop at Macy's anymore. I have to shop at Target. <laughs> wait a second, wait a second. I can't shop at Target. I might have to go to Goodwill store. You know, there's actually perfectly good clothes our society is so well off that people get rid of like almost brand new stuff that you could get for something like uh, you know like 
10 or 20% of what you would have to buy at the store, maybe even less, and it's perfectly good, but we don't want to buy that because, well, because it's at the Goodwill store. And then there are people, of course, you know, there are people who can't even shop there, and you see them sometimes on the street, they beg. And you go, there are certain street corners at certain intersections where you, you see them. And uh, you know, it's, it's an uncomfortable thing. You're not sure, some of you, how to, how to deal with that encounter. Right? And, um, but maybe it's comfort, a certain level of comfort. Some of you, maybe it's status. You have a certain picture of all the different groupings and levels. And money represents, I have to be within this camp. <laughs> I, I, I need to be in this club because that's the totem pole of all the different levels. And if I drop below that, well, dang, my life will be over, right? Maybe it's that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, we, it's, 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 it's strange what money can do. We live in, in an area where there are some people, I, I don't know if any of you, it's probably none of you, all right, that have so much money, they, they count their money in the, not even the millions, but the hundreds of millions, even the billions, even sometimes the tens of billions. I mean, it's, 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 there are people, but so literally, they, there's nothing that money cannot buy for them. But really, the reason they keep making money is because in their way, it's a way of keeping score. That's a strange way of putting it. Right? It makes them feel good about themselves because there's some kind of a cosmic scoreboard out there, and they are ahead of other people on this scorecard. And just one last, and, and i got to skewer some of you. Some of you are like, come on, Pastor. It's not about luxury for me. It's not about status. I mean, of course, I ain't one of those super rich people. But for a lot of you, and maybe for me too, I think maybe what money represents is it's safety. It's security. Right? That if you don't have a certain amount of it, you will feel endangered. That you'll feel like you're dying. <laughs> it's safety. Your money is your safety. And yet Jesus says, well, your safety, if that's your safety, then your safety is not very safe. (laughs) If that is your security, your life isn't very secure. It's never going to be that secure if that's where your security is. Um, Let me say something else to you. Um, uh, A while back, I read an article. And the whole world is kind of fascinated by this place, Silicon Valley, and by the way, if you, if you don't know that, you should know that people are fascinated by this strange place where we live. And some people have heard of it just by the fact that they even know about it. And, and we live here, so we don't think it's, it, it's that big of a deal. But it is a very weird place where we live. And this word from Matthew chapter 6, this is an especially hard word for us to hear. And part of the reason why it's hard for us to hear is because all our valuations about treasure and money, it's really cockeyed and skewed by living in this place. And when I was reading this article that I read a few months ago, it really kind of reminded me of this. It was talking about what they called the Silicon Valley middle class. It was talking about what does it take to be Silicon Valley middle class and live the Silicon Valley middle class lifestyle here. And, um, and they actually gave you a number for what it means to hit the Silicon Valley middle class. Do you guys care to know what that number is? Right? It was $200,000. That if you make about $200,000 to about $500,000, you are in the Silicon Valley middle class. And I read that article and I was like, oh my goodness. I'm in the Silicon Valley 
lower class. <laughs> I'm in the Silicon Valley slums. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm down there, <laughs> right? And I started laughing when I read that article. And I said, no wonder I always feel like I'm poor around here. And do you sometimes feel like you're poor? Um, according to Wikipedia, according to the government census, the, the median household income of Santa Clara County is roughly around 90, 91,000. That's the household income. And my family, we're closer to that. Okay, And so if you are at the median, that means half the households in this county you're, make less than you and half will make more than you. But if you're there, you will feel poor. Because you know why? Because the Bible doesn't say look up in the census and figure out where you are in terms of riches. That's not what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? It says, do not covet your neighbor's wife your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's cattle. Do not covet your neighbor's BMW or your neighbor's refrigerator <laughs> or his house, his four bedrooms, three bathrooms, and his nice lawn. Some of you are like, I'm just coveting three bedrooms and two bathrooms because I can't even afford that out here. Because that's how we do it. We don't size ourselves up on some kind of Wikipedia chart. We size ourselves up to our neighbors and the people that we're hanging out with and if they seem well ahead of us, and it feels that way all the time. Right? And out here, that is kind of what it takes. Right? It takes, and often there's like, there's an intensity of life because you have like a couple, husband works, wife works, they both work because they're basically trying to climb into that Silicon Valley middle class to afford a so-called middle class house. And here it is very easy to covet. Very easy to covet. And the money issue is constant. It's constant that you're behind, you're behind, you're behind. And if you don't at least get to this level, and, and then it's, you're going to have to make enough money so that you can get to a huge mortgage, so you can be enslaved to a huge mortgage. It's a great privilege, isn't it? And then Jesus says, you will be mastered. You are mastered. You are mastered. And here in this city, it is very easy to be mastered by our covetousness. Just one more point that I'd like to make before I go into part two of my message. Um, uh, this past week, I, I, I was running my tax numbers. <laughs> and some of you guys are going, um, Pastor, aren't you a little late for that? Nah, no. <laughs> because I took the extension. I don't know if you guys know this, but you can take an extension. Um, Typically, in my family, I, I get a little modest dividend. My family has a little corporation. I get a little modest dividend. And sometimes uh, we don't get that. I don't get that. I don't know what they call that now, the K-1 or something like that. That form sometimes till late March. So, you know, I'm a busy pastor, March, April's getting toward Easter. And I'm like, I don't usually want to crunch my numbers around that time. So I just put it off. Thankfully, the government gives you an extension. I take that extension. And uh, so I, this past week, I was like, okay, it's getting close to that and the extension. I better start crunching my numbers. And it's a strange thing to look at where your money went in late September because you're looking at where your money went in 2013. So it's like nine months later. And so it's, it's strange. Uh, you know. So I'm looking at it. I said, okay, I spent this and I spent that. And I remember spending. It's like, wow, that's what I spent. And that's how much I made. And this is where the money went. And while I was uh, reviewing and crunching all those numbers and looking, figuring out where all the money went, um, a lot of memories started flooding back. And, and last year was the first year that I put uh, our son into private school. And 
it took me all these memories where last year I felt, you know, because last year we were financially much tighter because of that private school tuition. And, you know, they even gave us uh, financially, which we were, we were really grateful for, but um, for, because I really wanted to put my son in this private Christian school. But I remember feeling this pinch last year, and as I was looking at those numbers, I was remembering that pinch. And as I was looking at all the different uh, places where our money went, I was looking at that and I was thinking, oh, that was, that was a pretty good decision. And then, oh, that, was, that did not turn out so well. Did you guys you ever do that? If you ever look at, oh, that did not turn out so well. And nobody could be perfect. Have you guys ever made financial decisions that didn't turn out so great? Or like, you're like, that was just a waste of money. Why did I do that? And then there were times where we spent money, and it was good. Like, I, it, was like a, it was a modest vacation, but we spent on that. And, I, and, it was, and you know what? I had long since already forgotten that vacation. But it was a good use of our money. And while I was looking at that, um, all these things were into my mind, and a couple things came by. Number one is, I've been telling you the last couple of weeks our life is very short, isn't it? Right? And... You may think that you have a life expectancy of 80 plus years because that's, you know, that's what the census says. But, but actually, a lot of the time that we spent, we spent on this. How to make the money, how to spend the money, how to save the money, beating ourselves up because we made some, some bad decisions. We're angry that, like, oh, why did I do that? Right? Fighting over the money. <laughs> and my mind was on all these things and I was thinking, our life is so short and we spend so much of our time fixated on this. As I'm like this, I, I, uh, I do some of the math. So here's how I handle my checkbook. I do the math, I put the numbers in, and then I do the subtraction. And then I double check it by adding it back. And then you know what I do? And then I triple check it, but then I do it on the calculator. Are you guys like that? I'm, I'm kind of neurotic like that. <laughs> because I just gotta, it's just got to be just right. And even though I still do that, the bank still tells me I'm wrong. I, I don't know. <laughs> in my mind, the bank must be wrong, but somehow... I know that I must be wrong, but, but, and I spent a lot of time doing that. All those extra minutes doing that extra piece of math, because this is where my eyesight is and the light coming into my life. And the other thing that, that came into my, uh, my mind as I was uh, crunching the tax numbers is um, last year, you know, at times we felt a pinch, right? I have no regret, by the way, of, putting, of going through that, that pinch because I think what my son received was actually really quite tremendous. Right? And it, but it's hard to keep your mind on that. It's like you're looking at that, you know, like, oh, it's going to be tight this month. We're going to barely make it. <laughs> but, and then constantly thinking, but I'm doing this because I want him to receive a treasure which cannot be taken away by money. But, you know, the other thing that came to my mind was the Lord took us through last year. In fact, I've long since forgotten. I hadn't forgotten about any troubles or... Any, even the good ways, I'd forgotten about those money things last year. But the Lord took care of us. And you know what? That's the way the Lord has been throughout our life. There are many other times in our life when Grace and I were even in like much worse shape than last year, and the Lord took us through those years. And, I've, and I had already forgotten. And while I was crunching those taxes and like prepping this sermon, it was kind of all, <laughs> I didn't realize while I was crunching my tax numbers, it would actually turn into uh, a sermon illustration. But the Lord is there and he'll carry you. Please don't forget. Let me go to part two of my message, spiritual poverty. If you have your Bible there, please flip back to chapter five. This is a portion that comes out of a very famous portion 
called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how the Sermon on the Mount begins. And I want you to hear this. This is how Jesus, and it's very relevant to this question of money and earthly treasure. This is how it says, chapter 5, verse 2, And he, that is Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those who are poor in spirit. They get the kingdom of heaven. They get the thing that cannot be taken away. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you, when you see yourself in there, you know, in, in our city, these aren't the qualities that we generally seek. A poverty in spirit, meekness. We, 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 we always, we celebrate confidence and strength and go-getter guy and, and the entrepreneur and the, and the innovator. And those are the things, those are the people that we celebrate. The people who have success, but not the meek. And, but there's something in this that the question of money and your eyesight and how you look at money will reveal inside your heart, is there a spiritual poverty? Is there a poverty inside you? Because there is the beginning of the road to go to that place where there is treasure which cannot be taken away from you. And here, it's Jesus really takes the world and he utterly flips it upside down. This is such a radical and strange thing to hear, especially in Silicon Valley, one of the richest, the place where the smart people come, the ambitious, the, the people that make it here in this place. And literally, 18-year-olds could make it in this place. <laughs> That's a strange place where 18-year-olds and 22-year-olds and 25-year-olds can become rich overnight. Right? Here, Jesus says, do you have a poverty in your spirit? And is there something inside of you that hungers for something more? Will you seek and hunger for a righteousness? Will you seek and inherit inheritance to something more? Um, In Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives another version of this. And here he even says it even worse. In Luke 6.20, he doesn't even say, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what he just says? Blessed are the poor. And for Jesus, he understands that our relationship and the way we look at money, there's something very connected there toward the light that goes inside and whether there's a deep hunger inside for something more. And then he even says it even worse. Four verses later in Luke 6, he says to you, woe to you if you are rich. Because I think Jesus knows that as soon as we start getting more and more of this stuff, it's very, very easy. There's sometimes, those of us, you, I think if you're human, there is a still, quiet voice that longs for, that hungers for, and that you feel that there's a poverty in something that's more than money, and the things that money can buy can fill. But if we have money and the things, what we tend to do is we want to use that stuff and crowd that voice out. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, and especially in this city, the, the, and the, the, 
the voices that says you you got to get this, you got to get this, and you got to pay off that that you got to pay off your mortgage, you got to do these things, you got to get into that mortgage. It's so intense that it's constant all the time. It crowds that voice out. But I want you to hear a different voice. Jesus says, "Woe to you if you're rich, but I bless you if you're poor, and especially if there'll be a poverty in spirit." Sometimes it's hard, and I want you to think about this. And I know this is a really hard message. This is a really hard, it's an intense and radical message for those of us who live in this city. Am I making you feel really bad? <laughs> um, sometimes I think this is a really hard message for me. I'm a pastor, and I've chewed on this many, many times. Right? And I've, I've, I've shared with you, and I've come to this place of spiritual poverty, and I've even come to a place at times I've been thankful for the financial poverty that sometimes I've experienced and the tightness. Right? I mean, years ago when we lived in greater Philadelphia and I was a PhD student, we were poor, and um, the Lord provided me for, for me this used car. It was, a, it was an old Subaru Impreza, and the fuel gauge was broken. <laughs> the fuel gauge was broken, and this car had this loud rumble. There was something quite, not quite right with the muffler, and when you drive, it was loud, but it worked perfectly fine other than that, right? And, it, um, and I would drive this car, and the noise would be, like, ugh, annoying. And that was the one and only time I ever ran out of gas. Because that's how, that's how I found out the fuel gauge was broken. <laughs> because it stopped. <laughs> it's a really bad feeling. It's like, oh, this is what it's like. The car is, like, stopping. Oh, my goodness. Right? And, and I remember saying certain words that I... Uh, that, that no Christian ought to say, but, you know, I, I said <laughs> when that event happened. And, and it was not a fun thing to take a nice long walk down to the nearest uh, gas station. But afterwards over, I started thinking, you know, a certain series of events had to happen because I got that car well under market value. And, I, and afterwards, I used to drive that car and say, Lord, these things are not my life. Thank you that I have this kind of not so great car, <laughs> which actually is perfectly good. Thank you. And deep down, it's helping me get in touch with the poverty that's deeper and more important. Now, I want to give you an illustration. I gave this a certain number of years ago, so if you're among the few of here that have been in this church for a while, you'll, you, you may remember this illustration. And um, it comes, I'm going to, we're going to watch a, a little clip from a movie. It comes from a very famous movie, called Slumdog Millionaires, right? And if you've ever, um, and for those of you who have traveled, or you know that in many of the cities around the world, uh, the, the riches and the poverty, I mean, they're right next to each other. And we're not talking kind of like just, you know, relatively poor versus relatively rich like we have in America. We are talking dirt poor, right, right next to extremely rich. And that's what it's like in India and in lots of cities around the world. But as you watch this thing, I want you to just see, right? Jesus came into a world that's not unlike this. And he came into a poverty that's probably very similar to something like you're going to see. This is God, the Son of God, omnipotent and rich beyond measure. Right? And take a look at this. Right? So we take a look at, think about spiritual poverty and what it means to be poor in spirit. Get that, please? Do you think you're really that different than them? Do you think when God looks at us, 
he does not, he sees us as a whole lot different than them. Sure, you, you have a place to shower and you have a house and you make a way more in the bank account than those kids. But really, it's, it's strange. The movie is, the, the, the kind of the central plot of the movie is whether one of those boys grows up and he ends up on that show, you know, you're going to be a millionaire and then it's the, the whole show hinges on whether he's going to make 20 million rupees or something like that, right? But really, the deeper drama of the movie is not about whether he makes 20, 20 million rupees, is whether there'll be reconciliation between he and his brother. Will there be forgiveness? Will there be mercy? Will there be love? And even in that movie, they don't have the gospel, but they know that there's a poverty that no money can fill. And when God sees you, do you think he sees us as really all that different than those two slumdog kids? Right? Which is why Jesus says, blessed are you, you are poor in spirit. If you know that's where you are, now you know who you really are. You know how I see you. And the light that's coming into your eyes, now it's real light, not darkness. Let me talk about treasure. Jesus says that where your heart is, there will be your treasure. Where does your heart go? Where is the treasure that can't be taken away from you? Um, I, uh, every now and then, there are people that I've met in my life who I believe they know this. They know this spiritual poverty. They know that it's blessed to be poor, blessed to be poor in the heart, because their heart longs for something. And it's interesting, I've met people that are both financially in this world, they're on the poor side and they're on the rich side. Because after a certain point, you know what happens is to us, as people that can find out what this real lasting treasure is, all of a sudden, their relationship to money will change. And that's what this first message is about when it comes to money. If you really want to be a good steward of money, your relationship to money, your eyesight to money, your heart to money, and the treasures of the earth, it has to change. Your heart's motion to these things have to change. And as soon as it happens, your money will stop mastering you. Your money will stop being your... Your money will not be this fundamental this driver of, of hope and of fear. <laughs> that this sense of greed, I've got to get more. Oh, fear, I'm going to become nothing. It won't be the deep emotions that are constantly hitting you when it comes to money. Because money will just stop being your God and your master. Money can start just being just money. <laughs> it's just this thing. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it goes down. And there's a few people that I've met in my life that have this. They have this. And you know what? They all have this spiritual poverty. And it's funny. Though they've walked along this pathway to spiritual poverty. That's the beginning. And I believe there are people who don't quite know Jesus yet, but they have this spiritual poverty. And that means they're setting out in the roads. They just haven't met the treasure yet. And just some of the people, what they're like, just to, um, that come to my mind, um, two people that come to mind particularly, that live out in Bishop, and I may have mentioned them to you, for those of you who've been listening to me. Bishop is the place that's out on the other side of the Sierra Nevada, and right next to there is the Paiute Native American Reservation. 
And for many of you guys, you'll know that Indian reservations are poor places. But it's a really strange place because right next to this very poor reservation is this very well-to-do resort town. And literally, there's, there's, a, there be, there's two square miles of the reservation, and when you're on it, you know you're on the reservation. And then you leave the reservation, and then there'll be this really well-to-do resort vacation house. And it's right next to each other. It's, it's like a little piece of Mumbai there. Not quite as stark, but it's like that. And I know two people that live on that reservation out there in Bishop. One, her name is uh, Gina Jones. Gina is a grandmother. She's a beautiful older lady. And... Um, She is actually on the tribal council of her reservation. And, um, but she lives in a very modest house. She has a very modest car. And uh, she doesn't really go out to eat that much. But you know how she likes to think about her time? How to reach the young ones in her church for Jesus. And if you meet her, a joy wells out of her. And when you meet her, she never talks about money. She never talks about her car or her house. And you get the sense that fear and hopes when it comes to money, they're really generally not on her radar. Another guy I know out there, his name is Jason. Jason's a little younger. Jason's a dad. And for the first time, he bought a car and got himself into a payment. And he told me that's the first one. It's because when Jason was younger, he was a, a crystal meth addict and a dealer, and he should have ended up in prison until the Lord got to him. And for fun, what this guy likes to do is visit people. And he took me around to some of the poorest and broken places, houses on the reservation. Jason has utterly no shame or nervousness to go up to these houses and knock on their door and treat the people who come up with dignity and kindness and love. And Jason has a joy I don't think he ever thinks about money, or he rarely thinks about money, or he certainly doesn't care about money, because this is what he cares about. And I think one other person that's like this, that knows this secret, and I grew up with this, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why, even though I can be a money idolater and mastered by money, I'm always reminded, and this, this passage rings true to me so powerfully, is because I grew up with my grandmother, and my grandmother knew grinding poverty because she grew up in wars. Right? And my grandmother was a sickly woman. She had diabetes. And she'd be in and out of the hospital. And she did not live in luxury. She, and when I hung out there, she never talked about her clothes or where she shopped or her money. In fact, for every one of my birthdays, she always gave me 20 bucks, which for her was a lot of money. And I always marveled that my grandmother never cared. She never talked about it. She did not care. But on her heart was joy. And you know what I think was a secret? And this is the verse that I think she understood. She understood Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And let me give you, she understood this verse. This is the verse I always like to go to when we go to money. It's one of the most beautiful places where the gospel is presented, which respect which sounds like economics, but it's not. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's what Jesus did for us. Who is Jesus? He's God Almighty. He has a riches that no money could buy. He owns whole galaxies and can flick stars into space. Angels bow down to him. He doesn't have little kids who jump into sewage who need an autograph from Amitabh. <laughs> Angels bow down to him. And yet he was born into poverty and was laying into a manger and walked with people and ate with them who were among the slum dogs of Palestine. And he came into a place where they were literally more like the slum dogs of Palestine or they're the spiritual slum dogs throughout all of history, you and I. And he came and he said, because if you will be spiritually poor, I have a riches for you. And you know what that riches is? This is the riches that cannot be taken from you. And you know what? Let me tell you. It is Jesus himself. It is himself. He made us rich with himself. And he became poor so that he could give us himself. He made us poor so that he could forgive us and wash us from all our money mastery and money idolatry and all the ways in which we take this thing and we are horrible stewards because we're mastered by it and not loved by him. And if you would go to him and have the secret which Gina Jones and Jason Forehand and my grandmother understood, a secret which I long for, which I kind of know in a very C-minus kind of way, right? But I long to know deeper and flowing out of my heart. It is Jesus, the God who made himself poor so in your deepest poverty you can be rich. Please think about that. The next time you look at your checkbook, handling your money, and say, money, you could say this, money, in the name of Jesus, I say to you, you're just money. <laughs> you're not my master. You're just money. Whether I have more or whether I have less, it's all you are. My real treasure is you, Jesus. I turn to you. Let's pray. I pray today, Lord, that you would give my brothers and sisters a heart to say, money, that's all you are. You're just money. I pray, Lord, for a people addicted to the treasures of the earth and all the promises of money, whose eyesight, whose eyes bring in a light which is truly darkness today, we would allow the light of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, shine into our hearts. Of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, 24, your words, Lord, would shine into our hearts. And the treasure of Jesus who made himself poor so that we can, that we, spiritual slum dogs, can be made rich by him. That our eyes would be seen of him and your light would shine into us.
Lord, may we long for forgiveness and mercy and love and eternity. May we long for a day when money will be a nothing thing. When we long for a day when we will not fight because somebody made us lose our money. We will not push down our brothers and our friends because we're angry. We will not condemn ourselves because we did not make the best financial decision because we are money legalists even because it owns us. But today, doesn't have to wait. Would you release us and make you our master? And in our heart, start a process to know the secret that Jason and Gina and my grandmother knew. And let money just be money and you be our treasure and our master and our king. Do this in us, Lord. We are powerless. We are enslaved and we are weak. But we come to you. Fix our eyes upon Jesus and may our hearts radiate with the treasure that's his. And trust that even though things may not necessarily be the best today, tomorrow you will always take care of us. Give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. And even if things are going really well with us, Lord, we pray that our security will not be in the money, but in you. Only you can do these things by your spirit. Only you can do these things by your power. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.